everyone welcome to episode five of the assault friends podcast it's me your host bard narson and i'm joined by my brother twice removed Corey baumeister and you know what today we have a very very exalted companion brian brown doing what up what How up? are you doing <laughs> oh, i'm great I, I love being part of the uh what did you say the name of the podcast was again <laughs> It's the Assault Friends podcast. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, that's my favorite one to be an occasional special guest on. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you're not an, a special guest, you know. Oh. I feel like that's that's a, that's copyrighted somewhere, you know. You are exalted companion. Ah, uh, it's even better, <laughs> actually. So Exactly. You deal in additional damage in combat. So how have you been, Brian? Uh, pretty, pretty good. Well, ups and downs, but, uh, yeah, things this week has been a good week. So on the upswing. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It sounds like you're doing well in the, uh, MPL weekly. Uh, it sounds like you have to submit a deck later on today or tomorrow. Is it? Yeah, I gotta, I gotta submit a deck uh, tonight, uh, for the top four playoff, uh, for the, yeah, for my weekly split. So, um, honestly, got got pretty fortunate. I started 0-3. Uh, I won the last four matches and had to get lucky with tiebreakers, and I did. So um, pretty, pretty like kind of one of those like happy to be here kind of things. But I'm still gonna put my best foot forward. Yeah, you definitely want to put your best foot forward, and hopefully on the neck of your opponent, right? <laughs> yeah, a little <laughs> boot to the neck or whatever it's called. Yeah. Speaking of happy, I know you as a player have been known for. Uh, Sliding Stoneforge Mystic into random slots in your deck, sometimes the main board, sometimes the sideboard. And uh, with the unbanning and modern, how do you feel about the format? Uh, well, I feel like there's going to be a lot of two Stoneforge, one Batter Skulls on my sideboard. <laughs> uh, uh, no, yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's really interesting um, because they, they unbanned Stoneforge Mystic, which people have been clamoring for for a really long time. And they also did it at the same time that they banned Faithless Looting, which I I mean, we never really had a chance to to, to play them together. But I, I feel like Faithless Looting was like a natural predator for Stoneforge. Uh, it just enabled decks that were way beyond uh, the level of what's like, a you know, turn three batter skull could provide. So I think without Faithless Looting and then now with Stoneforge, it, it actually has a chance to... Um, be a player in modern. I don't, I don't think it's going to be like too good as people have claimed, but I think it's going to be just, just a role player, kind of like a Tarmogoyf level card, maybe, maybe slightly better, but, but around the same level. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, a lot of people, well, one phenomenon that I've noticed over the history of modern is there's a lot of players who've heard about the impact of cards, but never really saw them or played with them. Uh, so there are players who thought like, Bloodbraid Elf was too good, right? And would just ignore the fact that Tron existed and was just a much better deck or, like, in terms of rate, casting a card on turn three was better. Um, and Stoneforge was in a similar camp of, it's a card that you heard was too good, but you didn't quite know why. You just took people's uh, statements as fact. And I think a lot of players are going to kind of come around and realize that Stoneforge is just not in a... A, a extremely absurd card 
Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Um, I, I noticed. I know a lot of people were saying like, "Oh, I've never actually played with Stoneforge before." It's exactly what you're saying. They're like, "I've just heard that it's insane, you know, and it's going to break modern or all these other, you know, hyperbolic st- like statements." And um, yeah, I, I feel like uh, I feel like they're going to see, you know, actually what Stoneforge is, and and maybe maybe Stoneforge was breaking formats like six years ago, but I don't think the same is true today. Right, because there's been an obvious power creep, right? Sorry, what were you saying, Steve? Yes, I mean, I feel like half the the actual modern ban list is like that at this point. Like Bitter Blossom, people thought it was going to take over Jace. Um, and Bloodbraid was on it because of Deathrite in the first place. So, I mean, for me, it's like Stoneforge is... It's really slow. It's actually what I think you would want encouraged in modern. I mean, except for the fact that it might hurt format diversity. It it's just a slow strategy, and I think that's probably healthier than what the racing we've seen the last couple of years. Yeah, I actually think that um, a bit of homogeny does modern good. I think the format is a lot better when it's focused around beating a particular strategy. Um, a lot of players will look back and say, oh, I loved when the format was just like pod versus Jun versus twin versus scape shift. And I think having a relatively powerful, fair card that people are going to jam into their decks that the game plan is to beat is pretty good. Uh, sometimes that'll lead to more busted things, but it seems like Wizards is doing a better job of quelling those sort of issues and leading to more of the kind of mid-rangey magic that people seem to idolize in terms of the format. Yeah, I think you both made great points there, basically. I've long held that there's a lot of cards on the modern ban list that don't really deserve to be there. Um, Actually, oh, I I don't know anymore now that they unbanned Stoneforge Mystic, but I always thought Umazawa's shit was egregious on the the ban list because, to me, it was at best a sideboard card. Um, There's a lot of decks in modern that don't really care about creatures or... You know their 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 creatures are like a worm coil engine or whatever that just really don't care that you like attacked on turn four with a jet or whatever so or or turn three or whatever it is so yeah I, I just think there's a lot of cards there that um, just just all these unbans that they've had and then the card has not proven to be too good I think maybe they're opening up to letting us play with some more of these cards. Shaheen was calling for uh, JIT on Twitter recently, and I was laughing. He, like, put too soon. and <laughs> <laughs> Well, so the thing about GTA is it's, a, it's an absurdly powerful card in formats where power and toughness, or well, toughness specifically, is centralized around one or two mana. And that, you know, I didn't play during Kamigawa Standard, but it sounds like that was kind of the general vibe. Cheap creatures, low toughness, right? And in Legacy, people are trying to get the most power out of the least mana, and that often leads to creatures that die to three or less damage. And GTA definitely shines in those formats, but like you said, in Modern, you have Death Shadow. You have, you know, you have Devoted Druid, which is killing you before the GTA is relevant. I think there's a lot of spots where it's a reasonable effect, but I don't think it's uh, absurd in terms of the format. Right yeah, I, I think uh, prior to Stoneforge unbanning, it would be a sideboard card, pr- probably at best. And then now, now it would be a main deck card in Stoneforge decks. But 
I don't think Stoneforge plus Batterskull would be too good. And I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. How do you feel about uh, people playing various swords? Are you a fan of the swords, or do you think it's just uh, people playing them because there aren't better options? Uh, so that's a, that's a that's a tough question because I think the swords are a little weak. Um, but at the same time, if you're only getting batter skull, that's also not very good. Uh, where then your stone forge is limited to only only being a way to get a batter skull, and then if they kill your stone forge, you know you're left with something that you can't play till turn five. Or if you draw too many stone forges, you might run out of reasonable things to get. I mean, you can get a second batter skull or whatever. I know a lot of lists are playing too, but. I, I just think that ha- having some versatility with your Stoneforge is, is probably for the best. But with that being said, modern is not really like legacy where you kind of know which sword is the best sword to play. Uh, it's kind of unclear to me which which is the best sword or if any of them are actually that good. Right. Um, I've been I've played a little bit of the Stoneblade decks and I've watched a few streams and it kind of seems like people get the swords and then they don't really connect that much ever. It's kind of a situation of your opponent has to do almost nothing, uh, which seems a little magical Christmas landy. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts, Steve? Every time I see a deck list, like if, if it doesn't have a bunch of spell quellers, it's just usually creature light. So the swords have been mediocre. Like I like the black red sword in theory, especially if it's, you know, all these Stoneforge Mystic decks are being incorporated, but like I actually think maybe two better skulls is maybe a better thing because they are so light on creatures. How do you feel about um, Sword of, uh, what is it, Sinu and Steel versus Manriki Gusari? I've seen lists kind of run one or the other, uh, and there doesn't seem to be a particular logic for one or the other. It's just kind of player preference. Yeah, I don't like Manriki very much, actually. I, I never have. I, I actually never even played with it back in Legacy, even when Stoneforge was big. Maybe maybe once or twice, but um, I, I always prefer to just try to uh, try to deal with Stoneforge in other ways, like kill it or Thoughtseize their Batter Skull or, you know, so, something along, or just play like a Shatter effect. Um, I, I don't know. I always felt like Manriki Gusari was just so so narrow for what it did, but yeah, I feel you. When I got into Magic, um, it was still during the days where SVG had legacy tournaments, and I remember you usually playing strategies that often sidestepped the Stoneforge versus Stoneforge subgame, and either went over the top or went uh, under in some way, either like Storm, Sneak and Show, or uh, Miracles were the decks that you were known for, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, I never really liked trying to just out muscles. I, I never really liked trying to out muscle people in mid range mirrors because it, it it's just such a number one is such a grind, and number two, like you might be two cards up on your opponent in terms of like quality in your deck, but you know when everyone's doing the same thing, sometimes it's just kind of a crapshoot as as to like as to what's going on. Uh, one thing I want to say about the swords is. I think people are not building their Stoneforge decks very well, 
and that's why swords suck. Um, I, number one, you have to have creatures to put sword on. Like that's just it's not going to be good if you're trying to put it on the on Stoneforge or the germ token is like your only creatures. And then secondly, like it's really hard to connect or have time to connect if you can't prolong the game. I don't see a lot of these Stoneforge decks like having the tools to make the game go long enough to where sword matters. So I think you want to ha- you want to have stuff like a bunch of hand disruption. Like I, I don't know. I-, I haven't done any testing on it yet, but I'm I'm interested in trying like an Esper an Esper Stoneblade deck that plays a lot of hand disruption and then uh, a-, a decent number of cheap like must kill threats. And then cards like, uh, and then I'll, I'll like Sword of Light and Shadow. So then I can get something back uh, from my graveyard that dies. And, you know, with a lot of cheap early interaction, I should theoretically have time to set up being able to actually connect with the sword. So we'll see about that. But Do you want to Ranger Captain them, lock them with uh, Sword of Light and Shadow? <laughs> I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to go that deep because. Um, I don't know exactly what one drops I, w- I would want to play there. I mean, may- maybe that's maybe that's a line. I don't really want to put Death Shadow in my in my Stoneforge deck, but um, yeah, like that that that's that's a good interaction to me. So and I've seen people play um, Bant Stoneblade style decks with uh, Ranger Captain, uh, Stepmother Runes, etc. And those lists have looked fine. Um, to your point about discard, uh, I know, at least in Legacy, kind of the leveling game that happens when Stoneforge is the best thing is people start with blue-white Stoneblade, and then they'll, like, flash red for Pyroblab, right? Which, there isn't an allegory in modern. But then they'll often either go into black for discard effects or go into four-color and just play a bunch of really good cards. And I'm curious to see if modern will eventually head to the point where the Stoneblade lists become that, just like a three to four colored mid-range deck, um, leaning more in on the discard, as you mentioned. Yeah, I, I think Stoneforge is at its best in a mid-range shell, and particularly one that is proactive. And so uh, I, like, I, I'm skeptical that Blue-White will be the best Stoneforge shell. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm, I want to say with a pretty reasonable level of confidence that it won't be, uh, could easily be wrong, but to me, Blue White's just a super reactive deck and has generally been fairly slow for Modern in terms of being able to catch up with what the opponent is doing speed wise. And I don't think Stoneforge like helps um, that much there. Like it, it doesn't really improve the speed of the deck. It gives the deck uh, like a little better early game, but uh, I don't know that it. it changes too much for it there whereas some of these other strategies i think were close to being playable and they just really missed a piece like stoneforge like for example like some sort of esper uh mid-range deck like really just needed something like a good two drop like stoneforge mystic well um your article your article that you wrote about it i think on tcg player um yeah you had a you had a mardu stoneforge deck right i did yeah and I and I really liked that as a as a as one of those mid range proactive Stoneforge Mystic decks. Yeah, like that, that's an example of the kind of deck that I'm talking about. Now, I don't know if that deck's actually I, I, I haven't actually gotten to play with that deck, but 
Um, and I would imagine that it's 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 probably off by quite a few cards. Um, but yeah, like that, that's kind of the idea that I'm going for, like some sort of like hand disruption. You play a good two drop, you know, young pyromancer, stoneforge, get a batter skull, and then you're you're more likely to be able to put batter skull into play, and you're more like and then you're more likely to be able to like use a sword and stuff too. So yeah, I think. I think with the blue-white shells specifically, a lot of players are emulating the legacy builds. We recently saw, like, Pete Ingram play for Force of Negation, right? But Force of Negation isn't Force of Will, and you don't have Brainstorm. Um, one of my friends, Dylan Hovey, tweeted out that he loves playing Stoneforge in Legacy, but he doesn't really like playing it in Modern, and he wasn't sure why. And I messaged him and said it's probably because you realize that uh, you don't enjoy staring at Batter Skull after your opponent kills it because you don't have Brainstorm to get it out of your hand, right? Like, part of the reason Stoneforge is good is because it acts as a Silvergill addict, as Steve would say. And you two-for-one your opponent, you Brainstorm the Batter Skull away, and they're down a card. You just keep making those sort of trades where your opponent just slowly gets two-for-one down to the game. And in Modern, it's a matter of, you know, you play your Stoneforge and your Stoneforge dies, then you don't do anything, or you know, if your Stoneforge doesn't die, you know your opponent has the Shatter, so you have to play around that. It's it's just that whole game, and it's not it's not the same dynamic. Yeah, plus, uh, plus Legacy is um, in some regards a slower format than Modern. It's not actually... Uh, like, uh, you know, some of the legacy combo decks kill way faster than modern combo decks do and, and, and so forth. But because of cards like Force of Will and all these other things, uh, the, the speed of legacy really in some of these matches does slow down a lot to where you have time to do this whole Stoneforge thing. Uh, whereas, uh, I mean, Force of Negation helps, but, you know, if your opponent goes Devoted Druid and you're holding Force of Negation, you know, it's not going to do anything. So, I mean, there's just a lot of situations where, I don't know, I, I just think that in because interaction's cheaper and more powerful in Legacy, sometimes you actually have more time to do the Stoneforge thing there than you will in Modern. Right, and it's also harder to play a straight blue-white deck in Modern when the format is wide open, right? And right now, people are excited to try thing because for a period of time you couldn't do anything and um that's where like blue white shells struggle when they have to answer a bevy of a bevy of concepts and deck plans and stoneforge isn't a proactive enough game plan to actually really shut that down because basically any deck can answer a batter skull at this point in magic so yeah i, I agree like my my issue with the blue white decks is they have to cut Narset, and because Narset doesn't really pair well with all the creatures for the Stoneforge package, and I think Narset is like one of the cards they kind of have been leaning on. So, like, I don't know. So I feel like I like the uh, combo decks playing Stoneforge Mystic a little bit better because he, you know, the Mystic makes such a great lightning rod. So, like the Devoted Druid combo deck, or even like there's um, Four Color Sahili, I think. Yes. People have been uh, posting four colors to Healy less and going on that whole game plan of here's a high density of things that you have to target with Lightning Bolt. Yeah, I think that's... I, I like that way more. Um, just, yeah, generally speaking. I, I think if blue-white is going to 
thrive with Stoneforge Mystic, it, it has to take a different role. Um, like, right, like, I, I think you can't just put, like, people are just putting Stoneforge Mystic into blue white control, cutting five or six random cards or whatever it is, and then calling it a day when, like, that, that's not really how deck building works. Like, you, you, I think you have to, completely reinvent the deck and and turn it instead of being a control deck into like a mid-range deck or something along those lines and then try it that way where you have you know the clicks the spell quellers on three maybe you're even playing another two drop two um and you're taking a more proactive role you have you have things that you can put sword on <laughs> excuse me things that you can put a sword on um pr- preferably with evasion and and so on like I, I you know maybe that kind of a deck is fine i think you might lack the interaction that you really need uh, but it, i to me that sounds way better than just putting it into a control deck and hoping it works yeah i think what you described is similar to like what i call um, good card syndrome where you'll look at a deck list and you'll go, this is a bunch of good cards, but this deck is terrible. And it's because the person who built it didn't really think about a coherent game plan or like a singular focus for everything. So instead of having all of their cards work towards a singular goal, it's just a bunch of individually powerful effects. And that's what's happening with Stoneforge. People are taking a reactive deck shell, as you said, and jamming what is somewhat of a proactive card into it, but they aren't supporting it properly or building the deck such that they can capitalize on the proactive nature. So they're just tapping out on turn two or three or whenever and not really getting the card's full value or not really getting the advantage that it would uh, afford otherwise. So where do you think Modern will be going next, BBD? Uh, do you think it'll stay in the Stoneforge subgames? Last week we saw a lot of burn in the top eight of the Open. We saw um, Wurza win the tournament. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, so, yeah, it's really interesting to look at that because the, the Open was kind of dominated by decks that preyed on people who had bad Stoneforge decks. Uh, and so... I, I don't think that that's an accurate representation of what things are necessarily going to look like. Um, so deck, decks like Valakut got way better without Faithless Looting and also with people trying to play Stoneforge Mystic. Uh, Primeval Titan beating Stoneforge Mystic is a, is a tale as old as time. Um, and I think that... And, and Burn as well uh, also capitalized on on the way the format shifted. Uh, so I, I think that people are going to eventually settle in a little bit, and uh, I, I think that there's actually going to be a, some pretty good Stoneforge decks. Like expecting Stoneforge to do well week one, I think is uh, a bit lofty because people are going to just be throwing Stoneforge into their decks, and then other people are going to be bringing decks designed to beat Stoneforge Mystic, succeed at it, which is kind of what we saw in Dallas, but. I think moving forward, people are going to kind of go relax a little bit on the anti-Stoneforge angle, and then people are going to get better at building Stoneforge decks. And so I, I imagine within a few weeks, we'll actually see like Stoneforge being a good but not oppressive part of the metagame. Yeah, I can definitely dig it. Um, I think it takes a very particular environment for Stoneforge to actually be oppressive and the best thing to happen. 
uh, or best thing to do, right? Um, but interestingly enough, the classic of Dallas was won by Dredge, and I know Sodek, uh, a fairly popular moto grinder, top aided the modern challenge with uh, Dredge, where he replaced thought, uh, Faithful Sluting with um, Tome Scatter. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I'm not surprised, actually. Um, I mean, it's it's good. It's way weaker, of course, than Faithful Sluting. Uh, but the dread shell is still a strong shell, and every time uh, they ban some sort of card like Faithless Looting or Hogak, or in this case both, um, that like neuters an archetype, everyone just assumes that that archetype is dead. When like the remainder of the shell still exists, and sometimes it's still quite good. Um, like we we saw we saw Eldrazi still be a, de- a, a good deck and ban Eldrazi at least for a while, um, or Eldrazi Tron. Um, and, and we've seen it, we've seen this example play out a, a couple different ways. I'm, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I just, I know it's happened, but here like dredge, dredge is still a solid shell and, uh, yeah, it's not going to have quite the same consistency and starts that it had before, uh, but it can still do a lot of great things. And so I'm not surprised that it did well and, I imagine people didn't have the hate, didn't have proper hate, and got punished for it. So. I mean, yeah. Storm Storm is one of the decks that they keep banning cards from. Well, they traditionally banned a bunch of cards from, and it's somehow still hung on the modern format. That's a big one. And then Jund, right? Like, Jund had several bannings until they finally got the right card. <laughs> yeah, so they yeah. figured out. Oh, maybe it's Death Ray Shaman. <laughs> May, maybe. I don't know. Is that a problem? I remember the discussions around that time of like, oh, they'll never ban Death Right. Why would they ban Death Right? Who cares? It's just Death Right. It's a bird of paradise. And then Death Right went and it was like, oh, well, I guess people playing Four Color Judd was a problem because Lingering Souls and Johnny Vengeance, <laughs> which is a funny thing to think about, right? A world where um, the best deck is turn two Liliana, Lingering Souls, or turn three like a Johnny Vengeance, right? That's a complete anecdote. Yeah, it's it, it, it's insane how good Deathrite was. Sorry to sorry to jump in, but no, I I agree. That's what I was gonna. Same thing. Like I, it was it was too good for modern, too good for legacy. Vintage can keep it for right now. <laughs> Deathrite's actually seeing a decent amount of play in vintage right now, uh, which is pretty abnormal. But uh, mental misstep. Well, it was seen play before the ban- the restriction of misstep, and it was like one of the few cards that went in the rug or bug deck that uh, really supported that strategy in terms of being a huge metagame player. And um, I'm curious to see where Vintage goes. It's, the format may actually be playable again, which would be nice, I guess. Uh, for years, Vintage, or not for years, for the last few months, Vintage has been completely unplayable. I I'm, I was uh, taken back by how much Burn did in the classic and the open. Burn just like crushed people. They didn't care about the Mystics. Yeah, I was a little surprised by that too. As I assumed, Stoneforge I probably foolishly would be favored against Burn, but I mean they have a lot of ways to kill a Stoneforge Mystic, and I guess a lot. I think a lot of these Stoneforge decks were just kind of not 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 tuned super well, so. I've actually played an embarrassing amount of blue-white control in Modern. Um, 
and I wasn't shocked to see Burn do well. That matchup was fine, but there was an aspect of the matchup where game one, you couldn't play Snapcaster Mage ever unless they like tapped out and then you would have to path your Snapcaster Mage because a part of your game one uh, plan was blanking searing blaze effects and it would often become fairly obvious when they had those effects in hand and Stoneforge doesn't like it, it doesn't equal Stoneforge equals batter skull it's Stoneforge equals a card that would otherwise be dead being being turned on and um, I think at least at like the level one game plan of those decks Stoneforge makes that matchup worse in a way um, at least pre-board post-board things become a di- bit different but I think at least pre-board it uh, actually does make your matchup a bit worse yeah I, I can buy that um, I, I mean I was thinking like more on a meta level that I thought Stoneforge Mystic in general would be a card that would be good against burn but like you know what you're saying about blue white makes total sense I mean I, I've, I've played a good bit of control as well and in modern and um yeah, I, I would think that Stoneforge would be a good tool against Burn, but you have to have your deck constructed to utilize it, like, uh, you know, Dispel plus Stoneforge, for example, um, things like that. Whereas if people aren't, aren't like, totally dialing into it, or if Burn's not on their radar of decks to be prepared against, which it seems like it wasn't, then, yeah, I could see, I could see Stoneforge actively playing into Burn's plan. Yeah, I think Pete Ingram played four Force Negation, which is, like, that's a hard read, right? There are going to be some matchups where that's going to be insane for you, and then other matchups where that's going to be pretty terrible for you. Uh, so I'm, I'm very curious to see how these Blade decks pan out as the format continues. Yeah, the, the real issue there is, like what you said before, like, Brainstorm does not exist, you know? You can't shuffle force and negation back if it's horrible. So, right, which is a huge portion of legacy as a format. Like you play these cards that are very high payoff, but there is an associated risk that's mitigated by the existence of brainstorm. And in modern, you only have Jace to do that. Yeah, I was actually I was actually a big fan of the top eight burn list. As far as like the way they were constructed, they they didn't even really respect the Stoneforge Mystics that much. They weren't maxed out on Smash to Smithereens or Skullcrack effects. They kind of just they figured all their bolts were going to get there and get them the whole way. So I don't think the blue white matchup gets any better. I think that you know, like you said, Lawrence, it's just worse. You know, with all the searing effects. Yeah, for sure. Um... So, Brian, I know you usually play a lot of modern and standard. Um, what are your thoughts on standard and the other formats? Do you have any thoughts on legacy? And I'm sure you don't really look at vintage ever, to be fair. Yeah, no, I mean, I see people talk about vintage from time to time on social media, but um, no, I don't really know much about the format. I, I would enjoy playing it, I'm sure. I'd like to play some. I mean, maybe maybe not recently. It sounds like it's been pretty bad. Um, uh the the ban list update seems to have at least face value made vintage look a much more appealing format. Uh, there was a period where I was playing a lot of vintage and then stopped because the format became pretty unplayable. But uh, I may I may have to dive back in at some point. Oh, you want to be 
you want to be careful. You want to be careful. They're, they are printing a uh, new Tarmogoyf for those workshop decks. Uh, maybe? I haven't looked at the spoilers too much recently. Yeah. But anyway, what were you saying, Brian, about uh, the other formats? Uh, I was going to say I'd like to play like Vintage sometime, but it's it's hard for me to just uh, get to play Magic. Like, playing Vintage for me would be playing Casual Magic, and I don't really. It's hard for me to just justify playing casual magic. Um, usually, if I'm playing magic, I'm testing for something, and if I'm not testing for something, then I, you know, I'm I'm not playing magic usually. So I don't really spend a lot of time doing things like playing playing vintage. I mean, I wish I could got to play more Legacy too. Uh, I, I love I, I love Legacy. I wish I could play it all the time, but. Uh, yeah, I haven't had a chance to do that. I actually really am interested in uh, like the Bomberman deck. Seems like a ton of fun to me. Um, that I, I would like to just spend a few hours jamming with that someday, and may, maybe I will do that. But yeah, most mostly for me, it's just modern and, and uh, well, predominantly standard lately, which uh, is pr- probably the least relevant format right now. Is it's about to rotate, but. Yeah, I honestly haven't paid attention to when standard rotates. Uh, what sets are rotating out? You would know this better than I would. Um, so, yeah, it rotates in a, less than a month now, and it's uh, Ixalan, Rivals of Ixalan, uh, Dominaria, and uh, M19 Corset rotate out. Oh, okay. So it's a pretty significant rotation as they come. Yeah. Um, well, we won't ask you to give away any of your hot, hot tech. I'm sure you've got uh, the actual Brad Nelson working on working on some spice in the lab for you. But uh, you know. I, w- I wish, I wish these days. Uh, these days, I, I'm like the spice provider. I don't know. I don't know what's happened. Things have, for some reason, the standard format has just clicked really well with me. So, uh, for the most part, I, I've been like. Uh, doing a lot of the the, the stuff that Brett t- typically does, and we, our roles have kind of reversed over the last like half year, just because of the nature of standard. Now, once this rotation comes, I'm looking to get back some of that Brad Nelson uh, workshop magic. So vintage, yeah. You've been yeah. the uh, Walter White, his Jesse Pinkman. That yeah. that can't stand. You know, no, he's got a, no. he has a reputation to uphold. Yeah. Plus, I got a reputation for adding that uh, adding that chili pea. So, to all my guys, <laughs> I, I saw uh, I saw you play the Kethis deck. What, how did you uh, How did you enjoy that? Uh, I, I really like it. Actually, it, it, it's a deck. It's a really weird deck. Um, so, first of all, I'm going to say that it's it's like I think massively the best deck in standard, like by a pretty significant. Amount. I agree. And before I didn't think that was the case, but I came to find out it's just I was bad at it. Um, <laughs> that's but that's solid, right? Like you, you know, admit that. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I think it's massively the best second standard, but it is the most complicated standard deck that I have played or or seen in like maybe. I, I think the last time I, I can remember a deck being this like difficult was the weird like Jeskai Ascendancy combo decks that existed uh, back in like Konzatarkir era because 
it's basically like KCI. It's basically standard KCI. And there's so many little sequencing things that you have to nail correctly. Um, And then there's also, well, there's also a lot of games where you could kind of almost blindly cast your spells and you're just going to destroy your opponent, much like KCI. But there's a lot of like real close games where there's all these like little minor decision points and things that you can do. And it's like, I don't know. It's it, it's extremely difficult to play, but it's also insane. I think good. it's much harder than KCI because the mana. Like I think the mana is so much more important mm-hmm. in Kethis, where KCI was a little more forgiving because of the nature of the, the, yep. the nature of the artifact. Like you you got you got freebies with the mana, but Kethis is if you miss sequence, boy, it's it's real bad. Especially your uh, the moxes, the the so called bad mox. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I think it's I think it's harder than than uh, KCI. That's that's part of the reason there, and uh, and then the other the other part is I, I feel like KCI once you uh, once you got the hang of how it functioned because a lot of a lot of KCI was learning loops, but once you learned the loop, it wasn't that complicated. You just you just had to memorize the loop. Whereas with Kethis, it's less about memorizing loops and more about analyzing like what you have available to you in your to you in your graveyard how likely you are to get there if you try to go for it and like a variety of other factors that uh were present in kci but to a lesser degree and then yeah the mana the mana thing too where it's like sometimes you know you you look at your opening hand and you have a watery grave a sun petal grove and and a temple and you're like well watery grave doesn't allow sun petal to come into play untapped like the temple, you know, does whatever. Like, wh- you know, what land am I supposed to lead on here? And sometimes it's Sun Petal Grove. Sometimes it's the temple. Like, it just it just depends. It's really complicated in that regard. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, it's one of those decks. It reminds me of like the old Doomsday Pile decks, like in Legacy, where like people had like these spreadsheets and these books on what they needed to do to win. <laughs> and Kethis reminds me of that. Like, you look at these openers, and you have castable spells. But can they actually go off? Because if you can't go off, the deck isn't, you know, the deck doesn't do anything. And I think, like, I've been, you know, props to the people that came up with this this newest build. And they actually uh, dropped the old card. What was that? Um, yeah, Tashar. Because, yeah. I, I mean, that, yeah. was, that was clunky. And it was, you know, this this is much more sleek. Yeah, and th- this deck's kind of insane too. Like with, with the Tashar combo, you needed like a bunch of different pieces to go to go off. Like you needed uh, you needed like two Ronas and then two zero mana artifacts to go with the Ronas, so you could loop them. But with this deck, like you can start a turn with a Diligent Excavator, and or you can start a turn with nothing and go off that turn, and it doesn't take that much because it's all about just getting two things into your yard and then once you activate Kethis, you know, then you you get four more cards in your yard if you cast two spells and then you can maybe keep going. It's I don't know. There's it, it's it's insanely powerful and I've seen it win some games that I honestly almost can't believe that it, it won, which is kind of reminiscent of how KCI would win games sometimes too. So it, I mean it really surprised me because like I didn't think Corset twenty was that powerful for standard, but it's it's actually caused a lot of shakeups, you know. So, you know, and I haven't really seen a lot of people playing with the rampaging Prosodon to try to like mitigate some of this stuff. So it's kind of between Field of Dead and everything else, it just seems kind of silly to me. 
but maybe people don't care because their format's going to rotate. I think a lot of it's that, like people, uh, yeah, the, the format's about to rotate. Also, I mean, I ne- I almost never play against the Kethis deck, at least on uh, MTG Arena, because people don't want to <laughs> dump like twenty wild cards into a bunch of unplayable garbage cards that are about to rotate. Right. So, and click really fast. Yeah, just, click very fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, people don't really play it uh, that much, but yeah, like the the split that I just played. Uh, so it's the for people who aren't aware, it's it's like a division. Uh, the MPL is split into four divisions of eight players, and then each eight player division plays round robin. Uh, one one match against all seven other pe- people in your division, and the the round robin portion of um, the division that I played is over and five people brought Kethis, myself included three people brought anti Kethis decks and the final standings were all five Kethis players had a positive record and all three other players had a negative record. So, I mean like the people are bringing anti Kethis decks and to these things and, and going three and four with it or whatever. So yeah, it's kind of uh, it's kind of insane how ins- how good the deck is. Is it a matter of the deck good, or is it a matter of like they're metagaming for Kethis and then losing to everything that isn't Kethis? Well, in this particular case, um, I mean, they had the you know since five of the eight decks were Kethis, you know they were they played most they like these people played five of their seven matches against Kethis and went sub fifty percent. So like. You know, John, John Rolf brought an Esper control deck, heavily metagamed against Kethis, and went 2-3 against it. Shahar brought um, Mono Blue, which he thought had a good Kethis matchup, and he went 1-4 and four against Kethis. And then uh, Savich brought Vampires, which his build of Vampires also looked to be uh, angled a little bit more aggressively, which is, I think, the way that you're supposed to beat Kethis with vampires is to be as aggressive as you humanly can. And he went he went zero five against Kethis. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't I don't really know. It I, I think it's possible to beat Kethis if that's literally the only deck that you care about. But I don't think it's I, I don't think it's reasonable to like have a great Kethis matchup and also be great against the rest of the field. Uh, although I don't know that that I mean it's not relevant for that much longer. No, I mean I I was looking at those lists actually because I was just, you're in the Sapphire division, right? The yes. Set. yes. Yeah, yeah. And I was I was checking it out, you know, because you're an old legacy player. I try to follow you, uh, and I was checking out the whole division, and I, I looked at the Esper list, and I was like, why would you? I mean, it, it was like Elder Spell, Command the Dreadhorde. I was like. Man, these are all very, very positive cards if you're playing against the control. But everyone else in the division like didn't care about half the cards in the deck. You know, the Otakayas were cool, but at the same time, the Kethis doesn't care about a little life gain. That's like more of a vampire card. So I was really shocked, like by that deck. And you know, it was the amount of Kethis. And you guys, I mean, the Javier Dominguez played Kethis. You played Kethis. There was just. You know, it was Mono Kethis in that in that run. I was uh, I was a little I was I thought Kethis would be the most most played deck, but I was a little surprised by how much it was played. Although in hindsight, like the only one who was really a shocker to me was Ken. 
Yukihiro. Um, I, I would have put him on playing. Um, he likes to play off the wall decks. I would have put him on playing some sort of anti Kethis brew. Um, so I was I was surprised that he was playing Kethis too. He must have just realized it was by, the, by far the best deck. Well, he um, had a Jace wielder of mysteries. He he lived up to his name. Yeah, he had three. He also had three uh, Traxos in his deck too. <laughs> It's been a hot minute since I've seen a Traxos. So I, I, I saw the Jace and was just like, "Wow, I guess that's where your I guess that's your backup 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 plan." But uh, I think Tamio is nuts, and you know every deck, all these combo decks that Standard's been being destroyed by has been the Tamio has been kind of the centerpiece. Like people blame Nexus yeah. and everything else, and it's like, no, look at Tamio. Tamio says, "Find the card that I need or get it back." Like that's that's great. Tamio is insane. Yeah, I I was I was a, I I was surprised by it because looking at the spoiler, it didn't look that powerful to me. But once you start to play with it, you're like, holy crap! It goes. It's immediately at six loyalty. It like fills your graveyard, and it, it it's just regrowth. So yeah. yeah, card that was banned in Vintage at one point. So regrowth. So. Uh, what about uh? What about your thoughts on Eldraine? Have you had an opportunity to look at these new spoilers that we've been piping in the last day or two? Um, I've seen a couple. I don't have a lot of competitive thoughts on what's good. I will say that I think like the flavor and art of the set is really cool. So you're hungry. I'm, I'm pretty. Excited. You're hungry for some food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm not. It's been a while since my last meal, so I'm really digging the flavor of the set. Uh, maybe after dinner, I'll be off it. But yeah. Um. So one thing I'm curious about. I haven't. I've looked at the spoilers. But I haven't really looked into the rules. The creatures that are split instant or sorceries. How do those work? Oh my goodness. Can I, do you know this BBD? I actually don't. I was going to ask the same question. Awesome. I got this because I read about it and I was confused. Um, you cast the first part, the instant or sorcery from your hand, and then you, on resolution, exile the card. And then later you may cast it from exile as the creature. So like Flaxen Intruder is actually a seven drop, make three bears, and then... Uh flashback a one two one shot uh what's the card uh trigon predator yeah trigon predator yeah you can cast it for the creature cost straight from your hand and just give up on the other thing but i think for the adventure you have like if you want to do the adventure you've got to cast it as that first oh so you you can play it as either but yeah if you play it as the adventure you get to then later also play it as the creature Okay. Yes. That's cool. Yeah. So, oh, it's I. Uh, some of the cards are really, really, really good. I'm I'm trying to look for one of them. One of the cards actually said this on it. It actually gave the rules te- text. So that was where we got it. I don't even remember what, which one it was, but because there's so many. But to me, that these cards look much more flexible, which I I know. A lot of players like flexible cards. Well, it also Especially makes sense for Arena, right? It makes sense that uh, there's going to be more and more cards that have sort of these splitter, kicker, maybe, effects. 
of doing two different things, you know. You have your one two in your deck, but you also have the shat or the make a bunch of bears or whatever. Like the beanstalk giant is a big thing that you can play, but it's also a ramp spell. So I I'm a fan of having this sort of flexible design. Yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty cool. I, I also like the you know inter- interaction potential of it, where I go you know play play a whatever adventure aspect play an adventure later cast a creature bounce it with my safari time raveler play the adventure again (laughs) 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 that's Uh, what people want more safari i want i don't know if that affects something to all people but i mean there is a you know core set to fairy coming out next year so Mm, yep. I, that yep. could be cool. Um, we did get to see a few planeswalkers from this set, though. Uh, or three, which maybe all of them, to be honest. Uh, there's a new Garrick, so they're finally picking up that plot thread from three years ago. The Royal Scions, which are the planeswalkers from um, Conspiracy? Was it Conspiracy? One of the supplemental sets that nobody... Battlebond. Battle it was Battlebond. Sorry, I'm a fan oh, of casual. Right. Uh, yeah, the Planeswalkers from Battlebond are back. Uh, nobody knew about them, but it's okay. And then we have Oko, the Thief of Crowns. Um, have you taken a look at these walkers, Brian? Have you, how do you feel about them? Uh, yeah, I, I looked at them... I don't. I haven't really like thought uh, super critically about them. Uh, the, the the Royal Scion one, assuming that it is what we see here, um, which I, I don't know. Sometimes the spoilers are off on things if they're not like official, whatever. Um, but yeah, it, it starts at it's a three uh, loyal or sorry three mana planeswalker that goes to six and gets to loot. I don't know. Car- Card seems like kind of ridiculously good to me. Yeah, I um, I'm not sure what its application in modern would be. Uh, I actually I could see it being played something like Grixis Death Shadow Rate. It's kind of just recursive uh, team or battle range, which is pretty nice for that deck to be honest. And that shell also has trouble with drawing random cards and having them stuck in its hand. But uh, I know a lot of players were looking at something like uh, Blue Red Delver and Legacy, uh, just giving your Delver that extra boost or your Dreadhorde Arcanist the ability to flashback something a little bigger than your cantrips uh, if you choose to build your deck in that regard. But the Royal Scions definitely interests me. Uh, and there's Oko Thief of Crown, which is uh, it's an interesting card. Uh, its first ability was... Revealed before we knew what food tokens do. Uh, Steve, do you want to give them the rundown? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, the food tokens are uh, an artifact because we don't want things that we can't interact with anymore. Um, and it's A2, sack it, and uh, gain three life. And then there are several cards throughout the set that they've spoiled that you can use food to create a new effect by sacking it. Yeah, for sure. Um, And then the other ability is plus one. It's a three-mana walker, uh, blue-green colorless, comes in with loyalty of four. 
Uh, plus one target artifact or creature loses all abilities and becomes a green elk with base power and toughness 3-3. Three, three, which I know some players are talking about combining with... Um, what's the... Not not Bitter Blossom, but it's Dreadhorde something or rather. Uh, it's the... It's unbeatable and limited. What's the card? Dreadhorde Invasion? Yes. Yes, that is the card I'm talking about. Players are talking about utilizing with Dreadhorde yeah. Invasion because uh, you just get to make a seemingly infinite number of 4-4s four each turn. You'll never have the life gain clause, but um, your opponent will probably be dead before then. And then uh, the creatures, or the Planeswalker's 5 mana, their 5 loyalty ability will uh, be exchange uh, control of target artifact or creature you control and target creature and opponent controls with power three or less. So it's it's interesting to see uh, a potential token engine attached to a pseudo threads of disloyalty style effect. Yeah, this card also seems insanely good to me because it's another three mana planeswalker that immediately goes up to six loyalty and all the abilities are pretty good, I think. So, yeah, th th this card might be uh, might be really strong as well. Uh, are there any other cards that stand out to you, or are you just kind of waiting to see what's going on uh, before you pass any final judgments? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't really been uh, looking over it too critically, uh, other than just I I've been enjoying like, some of the art and some of the coolness factor of it but uh in terms of which cards i think are going to be good and stuff now nah, i haven't i haven't really looked at it too much yeah i can dig it um so for the majority of this year players have known about the mpl but have been curious about what's coming up with next year and we're wondering what your thoughts are in terms of the recent announcement uh regarding the you know, how organized play will function. Uh, do you care to share a few of your thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, sure. I, I, I think that, um, I think there's a lot of positive aspects of, uh, the way that things are, uh, that like the direction that they outlined recently, which is, uh, they're adding like a rivals league, which is, uh, a step below the MPL, but can feed into the MPL. And I, I think that's I think it's essential that they have a relevant path for people to get into the MPL if that's going to be their like end goal for competitive play or, you know, top top of the line aspect for competitive play. Uh, and then they've they've like really revamped the previous pro tour structure where there now there's like uh, a lot of smaller events that feed into a, like a like I think it's like twice a year that there or th maybe three times a year that there's like a big uh, event. So it's kind of like between a Grand Prix and a Pro Tour level tournaments that feed into slightly higher than a Pro Tour, slightly higher than a current Pro Tour level tournament. Um, so that's a completely new structure that uh, I, I think honestly was kind of almost needed because of. Uh, the way that magic is growing, they they kind of needed a structure that allowed more people to play uh, kind of th those level those high level tournaments without also bloating uh, the tournament size of pro tours to like at just being way too large. Uh, so I think that it's 
don't know. I, I think that's a nice aspect now where they kind of had they added another step to it, um, another another level in between. And that'll give people the chance to play in like way more people are going to be able to play in these regional uh, players tour events. I think they're called, which are kind of like almost like a pro tour level tournament, but not quite. And but way more people are going to be able to play in those uh, than before. And then whoever does well at those plus like a couple other ways to qualify, like you get to play in like the super top end one, um, which that's going to feel like a big accomplishment even to just be in that tournament. So I think there's a lot of cool things there. Um, I'm a little worried that there's no middle ground really. Um, I, I kind of, I know a lot of people have been, have talked about it on, on social media. Uh, I know we talked about, I talked about it on a different podcast. I was randomly a guest for, but, uh, and I've seen, I know Lucas Sharper too has been super pop, uh, super outspoken about this kind of stuff. But, um, I, I, the one thing about the system that I don't like is that there, there seems to not really be a stepping stone from grinding GPs to, um, the rival league where, it's kind of like you're either at nothing or you're into the rivals league and there needs, I kind of feel like there should be like some sort of like stepping stone even to that level too. But um, other than that, I, I, I think it's a good system. It seems like people were pretty positive in the reaction to it as well. Yeah. I think players were definitely happy to see the announcement. My worry is, uh, as you said, there is no stepping stone system, which even if you look at something like fighting games, uh, for example, specifically like the uh, Netherrealm Studios or Mortal Kombat slash Injustice, what have you, scene, they have their own equivalent to pro points and tournaments that allow those. And it gives players something to aspire for and grind towards. And they have a series of online tournaments and physical events. Um, but of course, you see the same players at the top because fighting games are very low variance as opposed to magic. And I think as your game increases in variance, you should probably add more supporting tiers uh, for players with consistent finishes, right? You could have something like, uh, I don't know, PVDDR. He could have his worst year of his life, right? It's, it doesn't make him less of a player or anything. He's still one of the best players ever. He could have just had a bad year and be out of the out of the scene uh, based on the new system. <clears throat> or you could have someone who is, you know, a much worse player and just spikes a bunch of things. Or you could have, uh, I don't know, like Jared Better style situation, right? Uh, so maybe the system is exploitable, maybe not. But I'm, I'm curious to see how it pans out, and I'm hoping that it, it works out well for everyone involved. Yeah, I think that there's also um, like like along what you said, like p- people want to see consistency rewarded, not just spikes, because spiking tournaments, especially in Magic, especially with high variant, like the high variance, like uh, as you, as you noted, uh, it just doesn't happen that often, and it and it doesn't even the best players don't always spike that often, and sometimes uh, you can go a long time without spiking, and that could mean you're out or whatever, and and also. Um, I think people want to see their consistency rewarded. It's kind of a feel bad if you go to like a Grand Prix and you go twelve and three, and it, it just doesn't mean anything. I mean, there, there, you know, there, there's prizes or whatever, but not everyone 
you know, prizes are not really the motivation for most competitive grinders to go to these kind of tournaments. They want uh, they want to elevate their game to the next level or, or reach whatever the next like you know achievement stepping stone is in terms of competitive play. And you know, if you go twelve and three and miss top eight of a GP and you just you you really get nothing for it, it's kind of a feel bad because one one match ahead and you you get like everything. So um, that that kind of aspect of it, where it's like with the old pro point system before, like you you get you get some pro points from a twelve three finish, um, actually a, a pretty decent amount, and that could you could chain those into something more. So hopefully they'll they'll add something along those lines. Yeah, that was your yeah. story, right? You chaining because you flew, you even flew some like real long to get the constructed master to get the worlds right. Yeah, it was a. Uh, it was a Grand Prix master, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Grand Prix. I'm sorry. Yeah, but like you were, you were flying and chaining these events, and and that you know, not to rob you, but like that, that was that was great, and that was you putting up consistent, you know, high finishes, not spiking, just putting up very consistent. You know, you were playing you know quality magic all the time. I think it's much harder actually to do that than to just spike. You know, and this, I think this new system is, you know, it's built for spike spiking a tournament. And I think that's, you know, while that's something that can be done, I think it kind of pushes down on consistent. Well, the classic, uh, yeah. the classic point that people bring up is Scred won a GP, right? This deck that uh, everyone dismissed as bad <clears throat> kind of won one of the premier <laughs> events. So <laughs> it was like three Too years soon. ago, four years ago. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, I, he just beat me in the top of that <laughs> That's right. That's right. So that's why. That's why. Yeah. Sorry. I remember <laughs> Corey, Bob, or yeah. Corey um, Burkhart. Wrong, wrong Corey. Um, losing in the finals because his mana base just imploded on him. And that matchup wasn't actually that bad for his deck. Uh, I would actually say his deck was reasonably favored. Um but I forgot that you you dredged your way to the top eight, right? If I remember that correctly. Yeah, I was I was, I was playing dredge, and I actually lost. Uh, I lost uh, game three to uh, having lethal on board, and uh, he he plussed uh, Chandra Torch of Defiance and, and found Anger of the Gods, and then I lost. So kind of a kind of a it was a real like nail biter of a game and then he went on to win a gp i'm not trying to take anything away from that gp win it's just uh i just thought i thought i thought maybe you were t- trying to dagger me with that but okay. oh no no I, I i can't tell if it's more of a dagger to say that i forgot that you were in that gp top eight or not but uh, i don't think it's a dagger to forget i, I mean it's a random <laughs> gp i'd be surprised if if people knew all that information offhand so yeah, yeah, I, I remember the finals very vividly because I ended up playing Corey's deck uh, for a while, but I, I just forgot that you were also in that GP. But like now that I now that you mentioned, I re- I fairly like remember that game. So they've released the 2020 lineup, which consists of Theros, Death from Beyond, uh, Ikoria, Lair of Behemoths. Corset to Fairy in Zendikar Rising. Do you have any initial thoughts on these? Uh, do you, do you care about the flavor of Magic, or 
you know, when you hear about these kind of releases, do you, what's your response? What's your reaction? I, I, I do actually care. I actually care quite a bit. What probably way more than most people in, in my position do. Uh, so, so I hear something like Theros. My first thought is like, Ooh, Elspeth's coming back. Um, and I, I like Elspeth. So I'm like, okay, cool. I, I like Elspeth. I, I'm, I'm happy to see that. Uh, and I, and I see like, you know, a corset around Teferi and I'm like, Oh, cool. Teferi. Uh, that's going to be fun. <laughs> that's going to be fun for everyone. <laughs> I actually like Teferi as a character, but it's just like this unfortunate thing that all of his cards have fallen into. You get to play magic while your opponent yeah, doesn't. Wait a second. And I don't, I don't know why they decided that was a thing, but, um, you know, two two mana Teferi. Two mana Teferi coming to you soon won't be a problem. Two mana Teferi. <laughs> <laughs> you mean two mana Teferi with seven mana dual deck Teferi? Sure. As long as you get the two mana Teferi, probably like I don't know, the first time you cast a spell this turn is countered. I don't know. <laughs> Just immediately uh, a uh, flipped a Ryu. Yeah. A Ryu. Yeah. Why wait? Building restrictions, and it's you know, uh, but um, I actually, you know what they say: if it ain't blue white, it ain't blue white. (laughs) I actually loved Theros, the announcement for Theros, because Elspeth. Well, they actually, I think I read. They said they. I mean, they mentioned Elspeth in the piece. We'll see how she's been in the underworld. So, I mean, it might be a black white Elspeth. Who knows? Perfect. I, 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 I've been hoping for Black White Elspeth for a long time. So that's 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 my that's the dream. I, I, I love Black White's my favorite color combination. So um, we we've been stuck. I, I like Soren is my is is my favorite Planeswalker. But the Soren cards that they print usually aren't very good. So um, well, the, the recent one actually is 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 good, but in a in a different way. But yeah, I, I need a I need some of that Black White Elspeth action. You don't like you don't like show and tell is it, show and tell Sorn? No, no, I don't. <laughs> is it true that uh, when the mics aren't running, you make your co-hosts on the Bass Bros podcast call you Obza Daddy? I've I've heard that's the we case. actually shorten it to straight just the daddy, but <laughs> <laughs> I think that's copy copyrighted uh, by another guy. Oh, uh, probably is. Yeah, that's why we do it <laughs> off camera. We can't we can't do that on camera. We're not legally allowed to. You don't want you don't want Mr. Jones coming for you. Yeah, I don't want that. Uh, I don't. I don't get sued. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I love the idea of a black white Elspeth. Maybe spitting out some lingering souls or something. I mean, it'll probably have to be like five mana or something. But who cares? Like it would be neat. I would like it. Um, yeah, I I wouldn't be shocked if like Elspeth is this awkward three mana raise dead. Like comes into play and immediately dies to raise dead something else. And then has some token generation ability as a plus, or is a seven drop? Because that seems to be her general mo. Just like either be undercosted or overcosted. I think we're gonna see it as a, I think it's gonna be five mana. I'm, I'm I'm with you on that. I think it's gonna be a five mana Elspeth, black, white, and three. That's that's what I'm calling it here. Yeah, I agree. I think it's like plus make two one one lingering souls because they they love to do you callbacks for cards and then. The minus will be something horrendous, like you discard a card and and you can kill something. You know, it'll it'll be a little more balanced. Well, I think they're probably going to be have to be careful with planeswalkers in the next year because of the effects of the newest batch of planeswalkers. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
So regarding non, or well, regarding every format, do you have any favorite decks per format and have those shifted as the uh, format's gone by or time has gone by? Yeah, um, I don't know. It, it, it does change a lot. I, I kind of actually have begun to enjoy what I call engine decks the most. I don't really know how else to describe them. They're kind of uh, decks that maybe like mid range combo is, is, is a, is a way to say it where the combo doesn't necessarily like win you the game on the spot. Um, but it, 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 sometimes it can. So like, so for example, birthing pod, that, that was, that's an example of the deck that I'm talking about, like kind of a mid range combo deck that's built around some core engine. Um, like, so I've kind of, I've come to really enjoy that style of magic the most. So like right now in standard, like Kethis is that deck, which um, Kethis isn't even my favorite standard deck, but it's 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 a style of that deck. Um, in modern right now, that deck's Urza, almost exactly the same deck, like a, a mid range deck with an instant kill of Thopter Sword plus Urza. Um, I don't know if that deck really exists in Legacy. I I don't think that it does. Um, my favorite decks in Legacy are definitely blue mid range slash control. Um, generally speaking, like control decks, but with a more proactive bent to them, like miracles with monastery mentor or uh, like Grixis control with with uh, you know Deathrite Shaman and things like that. Like those are the kinds of decks that that I kind of really enjoy the most. So uh, recent recent Grixis control was my uh, I say recent, but it was like a year ago at this point. That that, that was my most recent love uh, for Legacy. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm also always interested to try out like sweet things like Bomberman seems like the kind of engine deck that I'm talking about that I think would be really cool, uh, to play with. So like, those are the kinds of things that I, that I like to do. And, and it's definitely shifted a lot. I used to just play exclusively control and now I don't really enjoy playing control that much. So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it changed over time. So, well, I mean, the miracles deck was a engine combo deck. So when it had counter countertop. That's true. Right. That is true. Yeah. I mean, you you were you were probably still in your brand then, you know, and you especially with the mentor with the two tops. That was another engine in the deck. So, yeah, I, gotta, I also distinctly remember Ryan playing a uh, collected company deck with Stoneforge Mystic and uh, Tidehollow Sculler in a random legacy. <laughs> yeah, when that card was printed. <laughs> That did happen. That did occur. That deck was bad, but it was <laughs> that deck was, but it was terrible. Sweet. But it, it was cool. Yeah, I, I uh, yeah, like that's a perfect example. Like, like two two senseis tops with a with a monastery mentor is like a combo finish to an otherwise controlled mid range deck. Um, even top counterbalance was an engine uh, of itself, and e- even the deck that I like the most in standard. Yeah, I can dig it. Um, well, we have some listener questions, but we have a word from our, our brand new sponsor before that. And, uh, you know, Chipotle napkins, they're highly absorbent. Good in an emergency, Brian. <laughs> they know what you did in Virginia. <laughs> they, they know what you did. I'm, I'm hoping they don't because it's, it's bad for everyone involved. Would you say it's... Heinous. Oh, it's it goes beyond a level of heinousness that I think I'm anyone's prepared for. Definitely. 
<laughs> All right. Um, so Eric Virgo asks, you're known for putting in a turn of hours and outworking people. Uh, many people have limited amount of time that they can devote to the game. How would you suggest maximizing the time in order to produce the best results? That is a uh, actually a really good question. Um, so number one thing I would say is uh, – one of the things that I do is I try out all these different decks. Like I'll test this deck, then this deck, then this deck. I see what I like. I see, um, you know, what's performing well and stuff like that. If you have a limited time, I don't think you have the luxury of doing that. So you're probably best off picking a deck and then uh, um, just picking a deck. Probably you're best off picking a deck that's an established strategy or um, just a generally powerful proactive strategy for the most part. Um, and then when you have the time, put effort into tuning that deck, uh, testing that deck against other top tier decks, uh, or just getting more familiarized or better with that deck. Um, and that's probably the best way to try to maximize your chance of doing well if you don't have a significant amount of time to invest into it. So... Um, just a quick clarification um, regarding picking a deck. I know a lot of players have their pet deck, or, uh, a deck that they really associate themselves with. Do you have any advice for players who may need to step away from their pet deck and branch into something else? Uh, or any advice for like objectively picking a deck that they should focus yeah, on? Yeah, it, it comes down to, I guess, what you want to get out of Magic. If you're looking to just have have fun and you have fun playing a certain type of deck, then by all means. If you're looking to maximize your actual results in the game, then sometimes it's not always about just playing the deck that's most fun to you. With that being said, I think you generally do better if you play a deck that you do enjoy playing or that fits your skill set. Uh, more optimally so i'll often play a deck for example i played urza during hogak uh when hogak was legal urza was not better than hogak in the in you know you could see that by looking at the top eight of every gp where there's like five hogaks or whatever sometimes there's one urza but um i i did that because i enjoyed that deck significantly more and would play it significantly better than i would play a deck like hogak so uh, I, I think sometimes you can pick a deck that's not necessarily the best deck if it's something more in tune with what you like. Um, but you kind of have you still got to be picking from the top of the litter. Uh, you can't you can't be picking like Merfolk and Modern or whatever. I know I know a lot of people love that deck, but yeah. I mean I'm glad you I'm glad you said that because I was like I was going to ask you because you I haven't seen you try Tron or anything, and I remember during the Hogak you were playing Urza and I was like I get it Urza's that engine deck. And that's, that seems like your style of deck based on what you said tonight and also your play patterns. So, like, that's a big... Yeah, I, I think I'd, I I think I was about... I was more likely to do well playing Urza in a tournament than Hogak, and not because Urza's better, but just because I'll, do, I'll play it better. I'll know how to... Pl- I, I know my plans. I know my how I'm approaching every matchup, all that kind of stuff. That stuff matters a lot. And sometimes it can take the second best deck and make it the best deck for you personally to play if you if you have that knowledge. Now, the best thing for me to do would have been to take the best deck and then get that same level of knowledge with the actual best deck. Um, but, you know, I didn't do that, so. I mean, but, I mean, you, but you went, did you, would you say that you did it 
you didn't do it because you had more fun with Urza and you felt it was powerful enough and you just didn't want to play Hogak? Or was it, you know, because, you know, because I, I mean, I think that you could have probably learned Hogak pretty quickly. I, the deck looked like, hey, here's 16 on turn two. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I thought I mean, we would like, make it only 15. I don't know. No. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I I did play some with Hogak. I, I could have certainly played Hogak. Um, for me, it was uh, it was uh, honestly part of it was that I just preferred playing Urza, and I thought I would and I thought I would do better because uh, because I'm just better at it. But um, I, I did also invest way more time into Urza, and and part of that was that I believed that Urza was good against Hogak. And if people came, if people come to these tournaments with tons of Hogak. Uh, I don't mind being the playing a deck that beats the best deck. Now, with that being said, it has to also beat other decks too. So, like, like if you got the second best deck, if the second best deck beats the best deck, um, I'll play that deck some some amount of the time. Now, there's a reason. It, 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 there's you would you might think like, well, if it's the second best deck and it beats the best deck, why is it not the best deck? And the answer to that is like it doesn't beat all the other decks nearly as much as the best deck does, um, and that's kind of where I put Urza. But I, I still I still thought that it was a a very strong choice, and I honestly speaking am optimizing for my own enjoyment as well as my uh, tournament results. So that's why I, I chose to play Urza. I, I thought I would I would do I thought I would do well with it. But I also thought I would have a better time, and I, I do care somewhat about that. So makes sense. Um, earlier, you you daggered Merfolk players, yeah. which leads into our next question. Robert Wilson asks: Can hate mail for this episode be directed towards Shaheen MTG on Twitter? Uh, in fact, I think it would be incorrect to not do that. I I agree. I agree. Um, <laughs> He's our unofficial hate mail recipient. Uh, I'm not sure if he's aware of this, but um, <clears throat> feel free to ship it that way. Uh, <laughs> my, my life goal at this point would be for every Magic podcast to direct feedback to Shaheen. Every Magic podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what we need to do is bring his students in on this. So instead of turning in tests with actual results... They turn in tests with just <laughs> magic player podcast grievances. Yeah, they're like the last episode of this <laughs> podcast had this issue. <laughs> uh, but yeah, our next question. <laughs> Dylan Hovey asks, what decks are worth playing in front of the dumpster versus behind the dumpster? I, I don't know if Dylan is associated with Chipotle napkins, but um, I'm getting a strong feeling that he yeah, is. That's the, that seems like a sponsor. That seems like a sponsored question uh, based on your your sponsor for this uh, this thing for sure. Uh, I, I you know I don't I don't know. I would say uh, I'd say they're all they're all able to be played in front or behind. It just depends on your headspace. We'll, we'll leave it at that. So. I can dig it. Um, Luke Strassler asks. Can I get an updated list and sideboard guide for Legacy Esper Hero? <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, the the list is uh, 
Well, you can't get the list, but I'll give you the sideboard guide. But it's it's five dollars on my Patreon page. So five dollars on my Patreon page, you'll get the sideboard guide for Legacy Esper Hero. But you don't you don't get the deck list. You have to build the deck list yourself and then try to piece it together. So isn't that just a Shaheen deck? Like, <laughs> isn't that one of his old Esper Blade decks? Just tap out, tap out, and hope. Yeah, it really is, and in fact, I have a feeling that uh, replacing whatever two drop Shaheen plays with with a uh, hero precinct one is probably uh, just an upgrade on his strategy. So <laughs> this just in, Brian Brown doing says hero precinct one is better than Stoneforge. <laughs> <laughs> um, so not so silent, Bob one asks. If you're playing a constructed trios event with, uh, you know, teammates like one of the SCG team events, what decks would you uh, press your teammates to play? So that depends on the, who my teammates are, um, because to kind of go off of what uh, Eric asked before, um, I'm not going to press a teammate into playing a deck that they're not going to play well. Like, so. It it, it, it it entirely depends on um, on who my teammates are and what their preferences are, but I would probably go with it, just straight up power level. Um, I'd probably go with uh, Kethis and Standard, Urza and Modern, and then either uh, whatever the best Delver deck is or Black Green Depths and Legacy. That would be like my power trio if 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 I had like a a great pilot of each of those strategies. Unless it was Brad Nelson, it'd be Infect for Modern. Yeah, yeah. If it was Brad Nelson, it would just <laughs> randomly be Infect and Modern always. Yeah, because uh, that was was that on the construct uh, the Modern Super Team. Oh like, yeah, didn't you? He, and he played it, and he was like, "I'm not sure what to do." And it was like I was just laughing the entire time he was talking <laughs> about his. They were like, he just said, "I just want BBD and BBD sit here," and he played Infect. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm always like, all right, I'm going to – when we do the modern Super Leagues, because Brad and, and Corey don't really invest time into – they don't really talk think about modern very much or know much about the format. So I'm, I'm kind of like the, the team dad in terms of deck selection and stuff. But they always get like their one or two decks that they get to pick, and it's just randomly always Infect. And, it's, and Infect's always horrendously bad. <laughs> <laughs> so that was not your call that was their call oh that was their call yeah that was their uh, they were like all right it's always infect and tron Corey's always playing tron and brad gets brad is always picking infect and i'm just like okay i you guys all right you guys do you i'll pick the other three decks i guess and whatever but yeah there's just always some random like it's like okay they played infect once in 2016 and now it's the, the only deck that they can play in modern or whatever well it's yeah. the limited deck right it's a limited deck with combat tricks. It makes it probably makes sense as far as skill wise. Uh, yeah. Tron is Tron is show and tell, so I get it. Like yep. well, William Jensen, Yui Jensen played show and tell every legacy event for a reason. It was just you know I don't I don't have to care about the format if my opponent's dead. Yep. It's like I I don't know yeah. I don't care about your fifty eighth <laughs> through sixtieth card choice. Uh, here's here's Gristlebrand on turn one. So. <laughs> For sure. And I, I had a couple questions, actually, myself. Um, the first one is, is it true that ma- being bald makes you better at magic? 
because you spend less time doing your hair looking at you, Reed Dude, and more time grinding slash do you think shaving your head is the secret tech in the meta right now? So two two things about this. Um, being bald does make you better at magic because if you're bald, it, it's it's uh, you, you know your hair has been kind of pushed out of your head just to make room for all that magic knowledge, that useless magic knowledge <laughs> in there. So yeah, being bald is is already uh, an advantage because you, you just got extra space for magic knowledge. And then number two, it's like the reverse Samson effect. Like the shorter your hair is, the better the the better you do. So it's just that's just how it works. It's I don't know why it is that way. I don't question it. I just follow it. Yeah, I, I can dig it. I'm, I'm a subscriber of that logic myself. Um, but my real question was, uh, how do you feel about your SCG years? Do you look back at them fondly? Uh, how do you feel they shaped you as a player? And uh, I'm sure a guy that I used to hang out with back in the day would be not happy if I didn't ask you if we'll see a return of the iconic pink sleeves. I would love to return to the iconic pink sleeves. I would love nothing more. Um, unfortunately, as it stands, usually I have a, some sort of sponsorship that prevents me from uh, playing those sleeves. Uh, should I ever find myself unsponsored, though, I am immediately going back to pink dragon shields. So it is possible that, th- that they will be seen again in the future. Um, yeah, as for the SCG years... I definitely look back on them fondly. So uh, I, I certainly was less accomplished in Magic back then by by far I, I, and stuff. But I actually think I was happier playing the game then uh, than I am now. So it, it's certainly easy to look back nostalgically on that period of time where I wasn't as successful, but I also uh, probably enjoyed things a little. I probably enjoyed it a little bit more. Um, I, I think they definitely they definitely shaped me as a player. Um, I don't know exactly how in that it, it, everything is kind of a gradual change from t- like th- I don't know things just always change gradually. So it's I can't really pinpoint like specific things that happened on the SCG tour that have like made me you know where I'm at now, um, but. Definitely was it definitely was like the stepping stone that I needed to get into competitive magic and start like trying actively competitively to to like you know better myself and then it, it things just kind of went from there. So yeah, I think it was I think it was it was pretty important to have access to that tournament series. Without it, I don't know that I would have ever gotten anywhere because I wouldn't have had I wouldn't have had the repetitions to to really like test myself and you know maybe I would have given up after two years of trying to get on the pro tour and failing or whatever it was whereas with the SCG tour you know it took me a long time to get on the pro tour but at least I had this to keep me to keep me invested in competitive magic that makes sense to me um well I've heard that you have some uh super secret MPL business going on in Bangkok that totally has nothing related to do with uh, knife fighting toddlers. Uh, toddlers. 
They're they're they're, they're four to eight years old. Let's uh, let's. We're <laughs> <laughs> accepted age range. <laughs> they can fight back. Yeah, exactly. They can fight back. There's no knives either. Knives are knives are off limits. It's all fist fighting. So. <laughs> oh my! Got to tenderize that meat, right? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, um, thanks for joining us, Brian. We really appreciate you coming out and, uh, yeah, you have a good night, man. Yeah. Thanks. It was fun. Thanks for having me on. Uh, sorry. I, sorry. I got a jet early. I got a lot of, uh, a lot of things going, going down tonight. So, um, yeah, but, uh, no, it was a lot of fun and hopefully, uh, the rest of the cast, uh, goes well. So take it easy. Thank you, thank you. We'll uh, catch you out here in these streets. Right, cool. yeah. Good luck on finding your civil fips. <laughs> I'll do my best, yeah. Well, Steve, so in terms of legacy, where are you right now? Are you still playing for color control or you you switching gears at all? Uh, I attempted four-color Delver. Um... And I ran into Weird Decks uh, on Saturday. And as far as Weird Decks, it was a Painter deck and something. It just I ran into like a couple matchups that were weird, and I didn't. I just kind of lost my my exploratory. Hey, I want to try this out. This is like you know the first the first uh, matchup I played against was actually Death in Texas, and that was easy. It was actually embarrassing. Um, but when I played against the Painter Servant deck, I just they kept resolving permanence, and I was having issues as four color control pressuring them when they have all these permanents that are just annoying. Like they had um, Mystic Forge um, and a uh, and Staring Bridge, and I was kind of baffled by that. But I guess it is a combo. Um, if that's the uh, Michael Coyle deck. Um, Sussurus MTG is he's known outside of Ohio. Um, <laughs> it's basically just Mystic Forge deck that has a Paradox Engine kill that um, grinds your opponent into the dirt and eventually you kill them with the Walking Ballista. The deck's really powerful, but if it doesn't have access to Forge or Karn, it doesn't do anything. Um, I was actually doing a tutoring session and uh, we ended up getting paired against that deck, and on the draw, we ended up boarding at a surgical, and the logic wasn't that surgical was in, you know, actually good, but it was the fact that that deck has a lot of random threats that overload Coligan's Command, so being able to Thought Seize or Coligan's Command or Mystic Forge and Surgical it gives us a lot of time to do something, and that's what ended up happening. We Coligan Swainted, Mr. Ford, surgical it, and the opponent just didn't, like they conceded, they cracked their um, inventor's fair, looked at their deck, and realized that they didn't have any cards that were relevant outside of the Mystic Forge. So, it's an interesting deck, but it's um, frail to certain kinds of disruption. Well, th- this was a this was a painter's servant version. This wasn't a this wasn't Paradox of Alchem. This was a painter's... This was basically take a painter-servant deck and bond it with a, 
an Eldrazi post deck, you know, and have all the annoying Cater cards. Servant like doesn't seem like there a was great like combo with Mystic Forge to me. I I agree, but as a you know, when the Delver deck's having to like for me, the Delver deck was having to react to all these permanents. And I could put like clock on the board, but they were just you know, they're 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 much they're more like it was more like playing against a show and tell deck. You know, that that just kept putting show and tells on the stack. Because I was like I couldn't let the Mystic Forge resolve and then at one point I I actually had to brainstorm for a bolt for painter servant. Because Grindstone was on the stack and I couldn't deal with it. Yeah, that. I feel you. Um, one thing I kind of want to address is a lot of players have been discussing which one is better, Four Color or the No Bad Cards Rug Delver. And I think it's a matter of maximizing your competencies as a player. If, you, if you're like me and you've played a lot of mid-range magic and you actually like playing those sort of games... You'll want to play the four color Delver deck. You have a lot of universal answers for things. And you have uh, your cards are a bit more powerful, right? But if you prefer the tempo game plan and more of the don't let your opponent things resolve, leverage Dread Horde or Canist, you'll want to play the um, the no bad cards run list. So that's the, the that's the major difference. It's not a matter of one deck being significantly better than the other because I think the decks are pretty close in power level. It's just a matter of making certain trade-offs. The rug deck can't answer big creatures, whereas the the four-color deck can. The four-color deck has a, has a mana base that's a bit more shaky, uh, so you have to get used to managing that a bit better, whereas the rug deck just has a more seamless mana base and can maybe afford cards like a Fiery Island and uh, the Cycle Land Lonely Sandbar. Uh, but for the most part, I think that it's a debate that doesn't need to happen. It's just a matter of personal preference and uh, what you as a player can maximize. I think my problem with Four Color Delver was, um, you know, like I played against, uh, I went 3-1, three, three, but like the one matchup, I really went 2-2, two, two, but I went 3-1 because the, one, of my, one of my opponents made made mistakes and I, you know, I, 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 I refused to go, hey, I went. One like in my head, I went well. If they'd have played correctly, I lost. But um, I, I didn't have an ability to recoup cards with four color Delver. Like you are cruising right across the finish line for me. Yeah, you're leaning in on red and six as your card advantage engine, along with like brainstorm to turn the lands into other things or a Sylvan library. But a lot of your games are either very grindy, and then you you kind of pull forward based on card quality or well-timed effects to really cripple your opponent, or you're leveraging just, like, an overwhelming proactive force. Yeah, I think my problem was I'm so used to four-color control having so many card advantage engines in it that I've leaned on that, you know, especially my version with the punishing fires and everything else. Like, I'm, I'm constantly just have a grip full of cards and the four color Delver deck, as far as like playing in the painter servant, crazy nonsense deck was like, I had to like force a will. I think like two things after countering two other things. And it was just like, I couldn't put multiple threats in board because I really needed to have answers. And they were just awkward things, you know, like I had, I had a decay, but then I couldn't decay because I had to, I had to, 
brainstorm in days and I had to just evaluate the decay as it wasn't going to happen because I needed to be able to play a threat on two. And it was just, it was just a kind of an awkward, awkward set of draws for me in the two, in the two games that I had, I also lost the die roll. And I think that was probably a big part of like why I didn't have any fun in that matchup because like I didn't have a Dover in games one and three. And I think without Delver in your opener, like the deck is really slow. So, um, I, I played the I played four color control on Sunday, and I went undefeated, and I loved it, and probably will stick to that deck, even though, like, I did some testing today, and I had to like play around back to basics, um, post board, and that made the play patterns of the deck very very strange because instead of the tap out i couldn't ever tap out but i don't know i'm I'm thinking for atlanta that's probably going to be my deck i can i can get behind that i think that's definitely where you as a player excel um i've mostly been playing the four color delver deck uh after a string of like multiple four ones in a row um i finally picked up a 3-2 in league but i was pretty exhausted uh, which is what it took, and uh, it's kind of nice to have a deck where I'm sitting right around an 80% win rate uh, in my most recent, like, eight-ish leagues or so. I think that uh, the, I, I'm just able to pilot the four-color Delver deck well because it's kind of fits into how I think about magic pretty well. Um I'm not, I don't think I'm going to Atlanta. I don't know. We'll see what happens down the road. But uh, I, if I was going, I would probably just play the four-color double deck based on what I've been doing the most of lately. I mean, that's your, that's your jam, right? Yeah, I've been playing the most of it recently. The other blue deck, like I played a bit of four-color control, and it's fine. Um Miracles, I'm not super happy with its positioning. I know Claudio Benani played a list at an Italian tournament and made the finals with Quad Monastery Mentor. Um, I don't think there was anything else significant about the list. It was just like Quad Monastery Mentor as the major thing. And uh, I don't know, and every time I play Miracles, I just feel like I'm working significantly harder for wins than, you know... I am with any other deck, so I haven't been interested in playing it. That's his brand, though, right? Like, ABD was talking about playing something, you know, if you think it's, you know, number two or whatever, and it's, like, what you really love. Like, Bonani's been playing um, quad mentors, and even with dazes sometimes, right? So, I mean, he probably, I don't think he had dazes in that list when I remember looking at it, but, you know, he gets points, right? He gets basic points for people probably not until the top eight, not even knowing if he's got days or not. So, you know, I, I like, I, I like his list as far as aggressive. It's an aggressive deck. It's not a control deck, but I can't, I can't understand the drive to want to play it right now when you have so many new, more powerful things that are cheap and efficient. Uh, I mean, you know, like you mentioned, BBD said, play what you can best maximize. And uh, there is, for a lot of players, they associate with themselves with a certain deck archetype and they play it. Um, religiously, 
personally, I I've slowly been working on branching out into other archetypes, and kind of where I am with Legacy is when Miracles is good, I play it, and when Miracles isn't good, I'm often playing Delver. Uh, and I think having some amount of range is good, or having other deck shells that you can competently pilot is good, but ultimately Legacy as a format comes down to where you are as a player slash how well you understand your matchups. And if Claudia wants to put in the extra work to relearn the Miracles matchups in the Ren and Six Minute game, then that's great. I totally applaud that. Uh, it's just something that I don't feel is worth the effort at the current point because there's other deck shells that I can play that also interests me and I can do just as well, if not better, uh, than I would with Miracles otherwise. Yeah, I mean, well, I don't know what um, his matchups were like. I forgot to look uh, at stuff. He, he posted some of the stuff, but um, I know that the current legacy challenge that we just had was a lot of combo in the top eight. You know, a lot of people are trying to play combo to beat uh, these red and six decks that are, you know, slow Delver decks or you know, these do nothing control decks. And he showed up, I'm pretty sure with like triple counterbalance, like I think triple spell pierce and like five, uh, five other counter spells in his main deck. So like, well, I have the list here. It's um, four Mentor, four, two Snapcaster, four Force of Will, two Jace, three Predict, four Swords, three Terminus, three Counterbalance, four Ponder, three Portent, one Preordain, four Brainstorm, three pair, Spell Pierce, one Force of Negation. Lands, uh, the only notable lands include one Volcanic, one Caracas, two Tundra. And then he has three uh, Pyroblast, one Montagna, uh, two Disenchant. I know, I know. Okay. I'm gotcha. a weller. I'm not an ignorant American to that degree. Um, <laughs> That's the way you said it. I know, Montagna. Uh, look, I used to live in Guatemala for a little while, so my my accent tend to skew towards Spanish. Um, two engineered explosives, one containment priest, one back to basics, one surgical, two relic, two hydroblast, and then. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, his yeah. matchups yeah, were Stoneblade, Rug Delver, Rug Delver Reanimator, Miracles Lauren, Blue Red Delver, and then he defeated all those opponents. And then he got to the quarterfinal. Uh, his opponent conceded to him, I guess. And then in the final or semifinals, he beat Rug Delver, and then in the finals he lost to Lands. Um, so this is more of a situation where like. Someone who's religiously played a deck for years and is a certified master. Um, he schooled people because his deck his deck list was not built to fight Rugged Over that much. Uh, he had or, two blue blasts, which is like kind of what you want. I guess he didn't have um, he didn't have Council's Judgment, did he? No. He was just all in on Monastery Mentor, just slapping his opponent around. That's really interesting. Uh, normally, Council Judgment is like somewhat of a safety valve, and he just straight up just decided to disrespect Charles of the White by playing Quad Mentor, which is fine. Um, well, that, he's got two. He's got two explosives, two pistol pants. Like, sure, he has the four answers on the sideboard. Yeah, which I. Uh, I mean, what were you saying? Uh, yeah, no, you go ahead. I was just. I, I think his deck was built to fight combo. 
and then he played Mono Fair decks. Yeah, I like when I build miracles, I tend to set a baseline at four answers Chalice of the Void. Uh, between my main deck and sideboard, whether that'd be two Council Judgment Main, two uh, Disenchanted on the sideboard, or what have you. I think you definitely need four answers to be able to competently combat the Chalice shells, or be able to at least fight through them. And he still has that. He just doesn't have a main deck, and it's interesting. I don't necessarily disagree with leaning in on counterbalance with these spell pierces. The spell pierces seem stellar when everybody's jamming two mana planeswalkers. Um, you know, a lot of miracles lists aren't leaning that heavily on spell pierce. So I think you're going to get a lot of people who opt to turn to play Riddance, it's over Tarmac Life, and then, like, you get a spell pierce or whatever. He didn't play Judgment because he was only single planes. That's why he was keeping his mana base super clean. Except, yeah, well, yeah. no, there's a Caracas. I lied. He's got a Caracas. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of single planes, but, you know. Well, he probably, he lost the lands, right? So Yeah, he that. lost the lands and beat every deck where Monastery Mentor is really good. Except for Reanimator, where uh, I'm just inclined to believe that he had a glut of disruption. Because he doesn't have the graveyard hate that's necessarily as good against the Also, Alarm. Aloran, Aloran doesn't care about Mentor. Steve, Aloran does care about Mentor. You know how many times I've been Aloran by just letting Aloran resolve and then flashing Casting. my Monastery Mentor? <laughs> yes. Yeah, you I'm, just flash your Monastery Mentor off their Aloran and you force a little their Cavern Harpy or like their Tutor or whatever. And then they die because like they don't do anything or you like untap and answer their Aloran or whatever. But. Putting Monastery Mentor off of Aluren is a real strategy, and you can definitely destroy them. But also, it's three Spell Pierce and a Force Negation. The card Aluren doesn't necessarily resolve as much against him. Even actually, you know. that that's what I that's what I meant by the matchup. I don't think Aluren even in those boards. Like, you just play Mono Flyers that draw cards and go over your head. That's what I meant by it. Yeah, I could see it, but. I found that Mentor just races that deck way too. I'd have to see. It might have just been Blue Green, which just plays the Snow Strix and it doesn't have as many things. And it's I don't know. There's there's so many different versions of the deck going around. You know, I actually don't think Alarn's any good anymore. So not that it ever was, but I think it's really bad. Well, Alarn's on the list of decks where how good it was was relative to how little your opponent knew what was going on, right? And uh, like, it was it was a lot like lands, right? Like, I remember watching Jarvis win that GP, and people didn't know what lands were. There was an actual interview that they did with him, Gathering Magic, I believe, uh, did an interview with him. And there's, like, a sound clip of just, like, some of his gameplay, and he's, like, explaining to his opponent what the card Glacial Chasm does. Or it may have been Tabernacle, one of the two. And it's, uh... It's just one of those things where, you know, this was five or so years ago, I don't quite remember. And... Those were the times people didn't know what those cards do, but at this point in, you know, Magic, or at least legacy players know what these effects are. And there are a lot of decks that gained edges based on people just not knowing what was going on. And now people do. So 
you know, Lauren's definitely on the list. Food chain as well. It was a good deck when people didn't know what was going on. Now, it's like you don't see food chain that often, but people know. Counter manipulate bait. It's in, it's better than ancestral. It's a draw four for two. For two. Yeah. No, I think that food chain is actually a better deck. But that's because of uh, manipulate fate. Yeah, I will. Yeah, uh, I sure. think it's. I think it has a stronger upside because it gets to. It has more synergies. Um, I haven't tried it with the snow strikes to clean the mana up. I just haven't. I mean, the problem is I really don't want to play um, anything but something centered around run and six right now. So. Um, yeah, rim and six shells are just like <clears throat> they're overtly powerful. They're fairly like simple to play, and they just naturally beat a lot of things. Like, there's a lot of matchups where just rim and six wins. Like, um, both me and Jarvis and everything else player in the same day, and this person like game two they mulligan to ley line of the void against me, and then game three they ley lined me off of a seven card. So it was a Six-card ley line hand and a seven-card ley line hand. And I was playing the four-color Delver. Like, the ley lines weren't really that relevant. Uh, game two, my hand just didn't... Like, wasn't able to produce the pressure that was necessary to kill elves. But it's one of those things where... Elves, Death and Taxes, Maverick, they're having to go through so many hoops to just beat Renan six minus that they're just making their decks worse against the rest of the format. And ultimately, they probably aren't worth trying to play. And I think that uh, a lot of players are starting to pick up on that and move on from those deck shows. Oh, yeah. I mean, I honestly, I played against uh, Death in Texas on Sunday, and they had a recipe in play, which triples my deck far more than yours. And um, as far as, like, I've got so many graveyard synergies, but... Red and Six made it the best Grim Lava Mancer impression and destroyed his deck still. Like, it was just like, okay, I can't buy back lands. I saw the Grim Lava Mancer. So, you know, and I just ticked, 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 took taking creatures out, and then he still died to all the other cards in the deck, and it was because he drew, like, two Rest in Peace and something else. And it was like, you know, you, you weren't drawing cards to win the game. You're playing these cards that don't do anything else. Right. Like, I found the Death and Taxes matchup <clears throat> to be pretty good for my Delver list. And um, part of that is they have to keep in so many bad cards. They have to maybe board in Rest in Peace or, like, they're, uh, they're keeping in Phyrexian Revoker, which isn't a card. Or, like, you can, <clears throat> you know, I played a game where my opponent played Phyrexian Revoker and named my onboard Renin Six. <clears throat> and I had the bolt, but I didn't bolt the Revoker. I just packed them, whatever. And then they go the next turn, Thalia Mother Runes. And that's when I bolted the Revoker to kill their Mother Runes, and then I was able to just, like, make the Thalia relevant by attacking. And, like, Revoker is a card against the Delver Shell that only interacts with, you know, you're keeping it a 3 to 4 of to interact with my 3 of. Um, you're putting yourself in a position where you're getting lulled into a false sense of security, right? And ultimately, uh, if I ever answer it, I just destroy your board, and that's what happens. It's it's uh, it's kind of gross. Well, I mean, it comes down to like the fact that the cards they've been printing—they're not just answers; they're win cons. 
You know, like Plague Engineer isn't just an answer, it's a win con. You can win with it. You know, Brennan 6 isn't just an answer for your little tiny dumb thing. You know, it's also, hey, if you let it get unchecked, like I, I beat, uh, in testing, I beat my buddy today because I ticked it up. I ticked it up. I didn't have really any relevant spells when I emblemed, but he was like fighting, trying to get something to deal with it. And he was like, if it emblems, I'm dead. And he, and he was right. Like, these are all things that answer your opponent's deck while also winning the game. Yeah, it turns out a two-mana card. Like, I, I personally hate Planeswalkers as a card type and wish they'd never been printed. And I think something like Ren and Six um, just <clears throat> really, I, I'm struggling to think of the word, um, exasperates the issue with Planeswalkers where they put you in a position where you as a player are punished for interacting with them because you aren't interacting with anything else that turn often and your opponent gets to progress the game plan otherwise, or you ignore them and your opponent just, like, kills you with their Planeswalker, and Ren and Six does that. It's a seamless, like, plan A or plan B, and when it's the plan B, you die to plan A, and if you, like, combat the plan A, you die to... I think, like, like, what I'm... What I'm I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, it's not just... It's the Planeswalker. Like, I think all these cards... They're answers, but they're also threats. Like Plague Engineer is a threat, and it's an answer, you know. And that's and that's silly. Like even like something as uh, innocuous as Collector's Oof. Uh, it's you know you can't ever win with a Null Rod, but you can beat down with that bear. And you know as they print these cards, you know the old the old cards that people are playing in their deck because you know. Uh, Thomas Edelson did, or Craig Wesco did, like rest in peace and stuff. You know, they don't win. Those cards don't win. They're, they're, you know, quote unquote haymakers. But all these cards are so much more powerful now that these haymakers, they're really not doing anything. Yeah, it's, it's the standard thing of like taking an arbitrary powerful ability and putting it on a creature just makes it better in magic, right? Eternally, like, you may not play regrowth, you know, but you'll play a turn with this. And, uh, like, Plague, Plague Engineer, like, nobody was playing Engineer Plague. People were playing, um, Marsh Cash Teaser, Golgarger, just random other effects. Now, all of a sudden, you have Plague Engineer, it's just, oh, yes, this is the default sweep of the format. Right. Now. Well, I mean, the worst card I saw was Dreadnought, right? Like, that was the very bottom of the barrel as far as, like, minus Dreadnought would be played. But, like, this card is just so much better, you know? And, I mean, even the new, uh, Eldraine set, it has several cards in it that are like there's like a a one it's like one man on the front end destroy target artifact then pay two and you make a two one and it's just like wow and it's an uncommon right like it's a ignat chewer that's that doesn't actually go away you know yeah for sure um part of that is mtg arena and best of one is a format right it, they're heavily incentivized to create as many split cards as possible. Well, even like, um, uh, shout out to Seb McKinnon, 
one of the best magic artists right now. He's killing it. Uh, he's got a card, Order of Midnight. It's this chick riding a giant raven. I don't understand it. I'm not going to understand it. I'm not going to get it. Um, but it, it's creepy yeah, cool art. This set is this set has definitely made me feel ignorant of just uh, Caucasian culture. I guess. Uh, <laughs> yes. Like, like I there's all these fairy tales. And it's just like you, you have gone past what Disney covered, and we don't cover that stuff on the west side of the. I read a lot of grim fairy tales, and even some of it, I'm still going, huh. But uh, this this Order of Midnight card, it's uh, on the front end. It's one in a black return third creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So it's the uh, Raised Dead. And then it's two mana from Exile. You get a 2-2 two, two flyer that can't block. This card would be like, you know, you would never play a Raised Dead. But a Raised Dead attached to a creature, you know, it becomes... It's like the perfect limited card, right? right? It's just a two-for-one in terms of creatures. So, but you know, I think that's almost like a better card than like these haymakers, like recipes. You know, if that makes. Do you have to exile it to put the creature in play, or does the creature come to play and it goes to the graveyard? I guess BBD mentioned you bounce it, so I guess you could like Coligan's command back your raised dead and do all that. But yeah, yeah, you know, know, it it, it, um, it goes, yeah, it it goes into play. So you exile the card. When you cast it um, as the as the adventure, and then and and that's and that and you, for all the food chain people that are hyping it up, hoping that you can use this with food chain because these are in exile. No, uh, they only get cast from exile when you they they can only be cast from exile when they're triggered to the adventure clause. When you cast the adventure, and then they're put into like a like the, what was it renowned was a, a mechanic where you had to keep the exile pile separate. That's th- these. Uh, no, not renown. Um, uh, hot is what you're thinking of. Renown. Renown was basically just like pseudo, not exalted, but like if the creature dealt combat damage, it did something special. But regardless, it's been, it's been forever. Um, but like there, um, you know, the point is, it's like, you know, you've got these, uh, I, I even lost what I was saying. Like, I, I think all these effects are neat on cre- the direction they've gone. I don't know if I like them in a couple of years when everybody's playing these type of effects, but, uh, just having the ability to like, instead of playing something that just sits there, like rest in peace, you're playing something that has to be killed or you could possibly die from being chipped. That's also restraining your normal deck. Sure. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Like the days of just like the standard of magic design being singular function cards is uh, gone. You know, nevermore, right? Nevermore. Uh, everything's a everything's a charm. I like the nevermore reference. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's some Caucasian. That's some Caucasian stuff that you that you uh, you're throwing out there because that dude was definitely a crazy white guy. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I really everything's a charm. I mean, I I remember after the tons of Tarkir block and they you know reissued new charms. Every set after that had a charm. 
you know, some of them weren't deliberate. Like, nobody thinks of a braid as a charm, but it's a yeah, charm. Yeah, it's a charm. Uh, collective Brutality, a braid, Blessed Alliance. I was just like, every set's getting a charm. <laughs> so, uh, K-Command. K-Command's the charmiest of charms. So, you know, I refuse to think of it like a command, like Cryptic Command, because it's only three mana. So Yeah, I personally like having a lot of charms. I think they're cool. Uh, I like multi-functional effects, but like, you know, I'm I'm exactly the type of player who likes getting more bang for their buck, right? So, who, who cares? Well, yeah. I mean, wait, wait till we get the command, the, the charms that are creatures, and then you're going to be like, what happened? <laughs> that's well, that's, that's what, what we just got! <laughs> that's what, literally what we're talking about! These are creature charms! Yep. You know? Yep. That, well, that's that's it. That's what they are. I mean, I do love the uh, the fact that some of these. The, I love the food mechanic because they don't want to repeat the disaster of the energy mechanic. So it's something you can actually in, interact with. And it's a lower power level. Sure. Yeah. Food. I mean, energy was higher power level solely because you couldn't interact with it. Even though, like, each energy counter didn't do anything, but food as a thing has the. Uh, like mana sink aspect of it. So that's that's cool to me. Um I don't, otherwise I, I'm curious to see what happens. You know, we haven't seen a lot of the set. We'll see how things flush out. Obviously the flavor's really cool. The planeswalkers seem obnoxious. Uh, I'm not particularly interested in seeing more planeswalkers this cheap. Um I think Oko <coughs> Yeah, I, I think Oka will see play in standard, or at least people will try to play it. Same with Garrick. Uh, the Royal Scions, I could easily see in modern legacy. Um, like, looking at Blue-Red Delver, the Royal Scions is like a card that I look at against, like, maybe a Miracles or Stoneblade shell, right? It, it filters your draws. Uh, even, even, like, No Bad Cards Rug, I could see running one Royal Scions. Because it filters the cards that you have, and if you have like a Rin and Six, it's just straight up draw a card each turn. And then the the plus whatever in Trample ability is non-trivial at least with Dreadhorde Arcanist, or even just like turning your Delver into a faster clock is real. Um, Actually, holy moly, we need to get Strytho on. Strytho, is this card better? Been Dak Faden in your deck because this no this gets, no it's not. I mean let's look at it it, may, it gives Wave Trample. Well, the thing is, he actually leverages the Dak Faden ult, right? Um, right, but this I've, I've watched him like ult Dak Faden and then punishing fires opponent's creature through a Chalice on two to steal it. Um, well, let's look at this, right? Like we've got we've got draw a card and discard a card, right? Like, you know... Yeah, but the other plus isn't as relevant for his deck. Like, he has Snapcaster... Uh, he cut Baleful Strix for Tyrion Scorn and messaged me saying he was very happy uh, that we were talking about Tyrion Scorn and he was glad that we gave him the idea. He's got Goifs, though, right? And, uh, he has, like, two to three Goifs or something. And two But... Uh, sure. I but I don't think... I don't think that Leovold survives this. I, I guess first strike and trample. 5-3 first strike trample? Uh, That's everything in Legacy. I'm I'm inclined to believe that being able to steal Aether Vials or GKs or random swords and batter skulls has a bit more utility. Like, 
if he doesn't have a creature, this Planeswalker has one ability until it ultimates, whereas Jack Faden just has two abilities until it ultimates. I don't... Or you never necessarily need to ultimate it, so... I guess. I feel like this ultimate's better than deck, though. That... That... I think that's debatable, based on the deck. I think Punishing Fire deck emblem is um, an obnoxious way to take over games. Right, but I mean, I guess I, I consider the same thing. Like, this emblem with Punishing you like return to Punishing Fire, so you're in, and then trigger the ult, and you like, you know, ate them or whatever, and then you just have to Punishing Fire them a couple more times and they're dead. Potentially. Uh, I'm inclined to believe that Dak just digging two is better. Also, Dak Faden has synergy with uh, Leobold and Narset. Uh, in terms of the yeah. the, uh, about the, the mine rot mode, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're you're probably right, but he might he might play one and two, one of these and two decks, so he can really really dig through his deck. Chase, when you listen to us, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> yes, please, please, Trifo. We want we want it. We want the hot the hot take. Um, everything else, I mean, I like all the little shatter effects. The mini Trigon Predator is neat, but like the problem is, is I think we've received so many of those effects right now in Legacy that are so much better um, and and just efficient that I don't know if anything has room here. Um, there was one card that can ritual for one black mana it's even on mana it's like pay one black get a get a mana yeah i saw that i was thinking maybe something like uh like the maybe the belfry shells or whatever the deck that just want to cast spells but it's a rose thorn acolyte it's add one mana of any color for green it's just a filter effect and then it's two colorless and a green two three uh add one mana of any color to tap effect which is interesting, but the card that stuck out to me as potentially breakable was Quarter Monitor. It's a blue colorless one for artifact creature that says when Quarter Monitor enters the battlefield, untap target artifact or creature you control. And there may be some way to break that. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure if there's some sort of flicker effect that triggers on untap or what have you, but you may be able to find something that does. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Oh, that's close. The, did you see, so the artifact creature I was talking about for vintage is the three mana, which, you know, hey, is three mana and vintage uh, something you can do? Uh, oh, three, his power is equal to the number of artifacts and or enchantments you control. Did you, see, did you see that down at the bottom in the artifact section? The gluttonous thing, or oh, Sambling um, so it's basically just like a master of Ethereum that doesn't have blue cost requirements. I'm not sure if this is better than Karnsai and Aversa, though. Well, I thought like I guess you can cast it off a workshop, which is kind of the litmus test of like. Right. This card on turn three is probably medium, but this card on turn one or turn two could potentially be obnoxious. So. Well, and they, and they really do. They really have moved away from. Um, I mean, the, so with with Karn, you know, the the four mana card restricted, and they're starting to like you know get to these creature. They're just creature decks. 
you know, and what they really want is fast, powerful creatures. And this thing, you know, this thing with the uh, boundary inspector, you know, it, it gets ridiculous real quick, right? Uh, potentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just a mana reducer effect, so. Right, well, we'll see what happens. I just think, I just figure, like, when you look at some of these things like this, and, you know, the way they've become an aggro, just an aggro colorless deck now, right? As far as the, you know, before the last card, they were they were becoming a, just an, a colorless aggro deck. Basically, that's usually how shops function. It, it like cycles between bringing a prison deck and an aggro deck based on what's best for the format. Yep. Uh, the other, but uh, the the, oh. the swamp I really liked. I know we talked about it a little bit, but I like the swamp. I like the, the design space for the swamp. There's a swamp. It's a witch's cottage. It's a land swamp. Uh, it enters the battlefield tapped unless you control three or more other swamps. And when it enters the battlefield untapped, you may put target creature from your graveyard on top of your library, which is like Mortuary Mire or, you know, like a Valrus Stronghold ability. But it seemed really cool to me late game for some decks to be able to fetch and get a creature back, especially since they keep printing Silvergill Adept effects. Yeah, it's also interesting with Dark in the Depth Shells, at least. Um, you can fetch it up or board probably makes it an untapped land. Uh, it is it potentially something as a like a plan C, at least to lose some of your threats. So right. that could be interesting. Especially if you get something back like Tyler Strecker, right? You know, like Yeah, for sure. Like, and you just start churning through the cards. I don't know. I mean, you know, for me it was like even like the Snapcaster Baleful Strix decks can run it. You know, whatever. It's just and if uh, I would I hope it's a cycle and we get to see many more of these fetchable effects, but then, you know, once they break, we'll probably be sad. But. Yeah. Do you have any uh, legacy plan for this weekend? Uh, this weekend, I plan on just playing at my locals. Do you go anywhere? Uh, so I found out that there's a legacy mox uh, prelim, and then the legacy quarter is off, quarterly is also this weekend, which I just, like, forgot about and didn't realize was happening, so... Uh, I guess I'm going to be spending my weekend playing uh, Four Color Delver, most likely, on Moto and Life. I decide to just YOLO Audible to some other deck. But uh, uh, there was a PTQ. Oh, right. Right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but... um. With regards to that audibling, Ridden 6 is absurdly expensive on Moto, and I have a Mana Traders account, and before I was renting, like, like I have a portion of cards that uh, Tom Hap has loaned me. And then I was using Mana Traders to supplement things. And previously I was using Mana Traders to, like, get Ridden 6 plus stuff. And then it became Renin 6, 3 Renin 6, and 4 Polluted Deltas. And then this last weekend, I had to buy a playset of Polluted Deltas. And now, if I want to play Legacy or, like, the 4-color Delver deck that I've been playing, it's just Renin 6. And um, that's kind of scary because I think Renin 6 has actually already jumped. And I'm not even sure 
if I can uh, rent three for this weekend, so I may have to start finding someone. So what's the to what's the what's the cost? Uh, they are like a hundred and twenty something each. So right now it looks like three rent and six is three hundred and uh, ninety six tickets and sixty nine cents, which means that I can't actually rent three because my limit is like 370. So I need to find a copy of Brandon Six for this weekend. Wow. I, I mean, I didn't... Wow. I just... See, I'm, I'm so used to paper. I mean, I'm, I'm working towards Moto, but wow. That's that's more than Rashadenport, I remember. When I remember when Rashadenport was high. Yeah, Renin Six needs to be put in treasure chest because it's constantly going up. And like, if I wanted to play the card this weekend, I would have to update my Manifestors account to the sixty dollars option, uh, which I like. the The option I have right now is like the thirty dollars option, which is fine. I can like offset the cost with my winnings from Moto, um, but. Like right now, it's kind of ridiculous that, like, I can't, I can't play the deck that I've been playing because three cards are too expensive. Yeah, I mean that is definitely. Wow, I just, I just can't, I can't even understand it. Like, like that's one of those things when you like you hear it and you're like, no way, because I remember like, um, I think it was Misdirection was really expensive on Moto for a long time. Um. Misdirection and something else. Uh, but, I mean, that's just crazy. I, I, I don't even know. Um, yeah, that's, that's actually pretty obnoxious. Um, well, especially since you're just trying to play. You're just trying to play Magic, right? Yeah, and I also need to work on the videos for the, the four-color Delver Primer. Um so I need to find a source for a singular copy of Red and Six. And that's actually ridiculous that I can't rent. Well and you, do you like know do you know yeah. anybody that can borrow it? Uh potentially. Uh so I need to sort that out. Wow. Um Do you have the? Uh, let's try to pull the. I don't know. Is there anything else you need to talk about, buddy? Uh, I think we've covered just about everything. Um, our Patreon did get approved, so we'll uh, be posting some some more hotness soon. Uh, or posting hotness on there. So that's something to look forward to. Otherwise, um, I don't know. Is there anything you're you're looking forward to? Uh, Atlanta, just GP Atlanta. Can't wait to get to GP Atlanta and and do that. Uh, beyond that, I mean, I'm gonna keep jamming four color control until I hate my life. I'm gonna probably keep not playing basics. So. Uh, and I think that's it for me. I mean, I thought about going to the modern 
constructed in Indy, I think, is that the, is, that's this weekend. But it's like a team of it's a team event. So yeah, probably not gonna do that. Um also the format's kind of crazy right now. Like I would be playing like a Stone Force Mystic Spellcore deck if I did. Which may or may not be correct. So I like I like the idea of Spellcaller with uh three drop Teferi. Just because that's a silly combination of cards. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Three Drop to Fairy is actually really good in modern right now. Um, I played a league with Stoneblade and like ended up playing against Ad Nauseam, which is usually a horrible matchup for Blue White. And then both of my games consisted of playing Three Drop to Fairy and them just dying because they lost all of their ability to have any sort of counterplay, which is usually what they banked on. Yeah, so. I uh, I was really like looking into like the idea that Three Drop to Fairy. Um, Grand Street Tempo in that deck. At the same time, it combos with Spellqueller, which I don't understand how that's possible, <laughs> but it does. So, um, so that I mean, that would be if that, I mean, I, if that wasn't a team event, that's where I would probably end up being. But beyond that, I've got nothing else. Uh, it's awesome about the Patreon. Um, Give some shout outs for social media. Yeah, uh, you can find Steve at Twitter on Twitter at RaceLinim. Uh, that's R A I S T L I N I M. You can find me at Lawrence Harmon, L A W R E N C E H R M O N. Uh, our editor, Kwame at Tripod Gun, T R I P O D D, or P O D G O U N N. And then uh, BBD can be found at Brian Brown doing it. Uh, that's Brian and then Brown spelled B R A U N and D U I D U I N I T. He's also on Twitch at MTG BBD. So. Yeah, uh, that's more or less it. So we will uh, see you all next week. Thank you guys. Bye.